0: Hey, y'all go check your DMs, buddy. <laughs> try to get, try to coordinate a podcast with <laughs> you for this week. <laughs> All right, Scott. Thanks, man. Yeah, I know. I I, I blew it on uh, the timing for tomorrow, guys. I said uh, we're just gonna have a personal conversation here. Don't worry. Um, but uh, thank you. Uh, we can do it maybe tomorrow or uh, Meanwhile, Thursday.
1: Meanwhile, good morning, Mario. Good morning, everyone else.
0: Yeah. Good morning. Good morning, guys. Hey, I got you here. It's easier than us trying to uh, coordinate on WhatsApp. Since, I, since I've got you. So uh, yeah, so we got obviously a somewhat boring market uh, at the moment, uh, so it doesn't give us much to talk about there, which uh, to me can be pretty refreshing. Uh, tether printing a billion dollars, 50K soon, which is uh, I think uh, we have 50K soon predictions. And then we have Chris Bernisky saying uh, 20K soon. I don't know if you guys saw that tweet, Alex. Did you see uh, his tweet saying for uh, for reasons he can't explain fully here? I like the, I love him, but uh, it sounds like one of those sources. Trust me, bro. Right. We're going, we're going pretty did far I, did down. He,
2: I I saw him, um, I thought making a decent case for lower. I didn't see 20 though. Is that what he was going for?
0: He said, he said he thought for sure 30s to 36 would not be surprised if it went well down into the 20s or to the mid 20s, something, something to that effect. Yeah. That would surprise me yeah yeah
2: yeah I still think like 35 is reasonable um to occur but um I, I I right now frankly don't have a very strong bias either way I would say but I definitely think it we could go lower into the mid 30s is totally reasonable I'd be shocked if we went below 30 frankly.
0: Shock. I mean, we're kind of we were kind of we just in the high to mid thirties, right? So I don't think that that should theoretically surprise anyone. If we're oh, yeah, like already
2: thirty-eight yeah, I think it's it's frankly a very reasonable. I think it's a, a simple and reasonable way to ask this question. Is just like was 38.5 the yearly low? Like I think you could you could say no or yes, and 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 not mean twenty if you say no. Wait, you know, yeah,
0: you could say no or yes with extremely minimal conviction, in my opinion, right? Because I think there's just a lot of exogenous factors right now. and uh, Yeah, I, I and, don't, and I and I really don't have much conviction, frankly, either way at
2: the moment. I mean, I, to your point about it being a relatively boring market, like, I mean, I've been, I was pretty convicted that we were going to go lower, and now that we bounced off 38.5, I'm sort of like, we're going to go down again, it's totally possible, but I feel like we did go lower, so now I'm sort of, you know. Flat. Yeah, I'm exactly. not really sure, frankly truly.
0: Exactly, and you know the the market always seeking narratives, and now we're just kind of floating for the having again, which is exactly where we probably should have been this time without the uh, ETF uh, talk about. Oh my God, I said the word ETF, and James Aford arrived. I mean, do. We summoned you. That was incredible. What's up, guys? I didn't know that the first time I said the words the letters ETF today that you would randomly appear on stage, but you've got that power clearly now. Maybe we should yeah there. I saw you were lifting your mic, but I'm gonna just go to James really quick and get the uh maybe a quick ETF update. I mean, I saw that obviously the the big news sort of in the last few days was that Blackrock's uh, AUM surpassing two billion. I think uh that fidelity is not far behind one point eight ish. You know somewhere in that ballpark uh pretty impressive numbers here how are you viewing this right now Kentucky derby <laughs>
3: yeah um can you hear me
0: yeah you sound great
3: okay good um yeah so um i mean volumes are slowing that's the big thing so volumes are slowing for GBTC, but kind of picking up so overall volumes are slowing but um i fbtc are gaining on GBTC pretty quickly um net flows were still over 700 so around 759 has come in. Um, the number one thing on Friday is that we went back to net flows and GBTC's outflows lowered to 255. So um, we're, <laughs> flows are getting better, I guess. They're they're kind of leveling off on both sides. Um, so we we're kind of seem to be at a little bit of an equilibrium. So on Friday, we are at plus 15 million, which is not really anything in the grand scheme of things so things seem to start to be settling out i guess is the way i'm looking at it um, And if you look at so right now this is just the spot etfs that i'm talking about if you add in the open interest in the CMB bitcoin futures um we're at net outflows for bitcoin exposure in the us traditional finance ecosystem for the most part um so that explains some of the downtrends in price but right but most wouldn't most that part be part hedges are...
0: unwinding if you're looking at yeah if you're looking at futures wouldn't that likely be hedges unwinding I mean, if this trade yes. is done, that's what you would expect open interest to be dropping dramatically on futures,
3: right? 100%. That and also people just betting people, a lot of people were probably buying futures to bet on the ETF approval. Um, so things have collapsed since um, basically since the day that ETFs have improved and that's also leveled off. So we're not seeing a drop in open interest uh, in the way that we were the last couple of weeks. So things just kind of seem to be uh, more at an equilibrium that they were than they were in the last two-ish weeks. Do we have right
4: any time? Am I right in saying that the net inflow to date is about 750 million?
3: Yes, on the spot ETFs. Yes, if you include okay. the drop in open interest on the CME futures and outflows from Canadian ETFs and European ETFs, it's probably more closer to zero. Slight outflows. Um, hmm. Yeah,
4: James. What about this this rule? Well, I don't know if it's true. I mean, I read a tweet about it, which says that you're not allowed if you sell GBTC. Uh, in, in terms of tax harvesting, you're not allowed to buy a similar um, product for like 30 days or something like that. Is that like is that an? That Latin can't trader? be true.
0: That can't be true. Yeah. The wash trading rule can't possibly apply to a different asset, does it?
4: <laughs> no,
0: no, no. Wash oh, sale. No.
3: Yeah, so
4: it could because uh, otherwise you could just trade out of Ark and trade into GB in, into into the 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 Ibit and. And, uh, and then, you know, you can, like, you know what I mean? Like, so you could you could tax harvest because because these assets are identical, actually there is a case for this as far as I understand.
0: That's interesting. I have never heard it. That's surprising. James? Um,
3: yeah. I mean, so right now, as far as I'm aware, there is no wash sale rule on ETFs that said contact a tax expert before you do anything. So if you look at like the gold and metals ETFs, they don't, they are not subject to the wash sale rule in the way that a normal ETF equities bonds what have you. Um, so that said, if any of these market structure bills get passed, for the most part, all of them would institute a wash sale rule on cryptocurrencies, um, which I believe would probably would, would basically just port over to these ETS. Um, so there's no, there's no guarantee that a wash sale rule won't be in effect for this next tax year. Um, so I would just be aware of that, I guess. Again, I, I'm not a tax expert, so consult a tax expert. But right now, as far as I'm aware, the wash sale rule is not in effect for these things.
0: Yeah, I've definitely never heard it being applied like, across, um, across multiple assets, even if they're tracking the same underlying. I mean, that would logically make sense, Ram, I, I, to, to your point. But I can't imagine that they've uh, found a way to pass that law if it doesn't exist for others. We've been talking about the wash sale rule going in, you know, effectively coming to crypto. For years, and it, surprisingly, it still hasn't. I think it's just a testament to how slowly the government works when it comes to these things, because that's one of those cases that seems pretty obvious that it should apply, right? I mean, if, if you can't, uh, if you can't sell a stock uh, if you have to wait. For people who don't know, it means when you sell something, you have to wait 30 days basically to buy it back. You can't uh, take a tax write-off on the loss and take advantage of that. That hasn't existed for crypto yet. I think that if it exists everywhere else, it probably should uh, exist for crypto. To make the argument it shouldn't exist anywhere, but but um, that's the basic underlying. I'm really sur- I would be really surprised if they applied it in that way. Ram, where where did you see that? Like wh- who was talking about it?
4: I saw a tweet from an account called Marty Party um, last week. I'm trying to find actually last uh, searching for the tweet, but Marty Party is the kind of guy that really tweets a lot. So
5: yeah, he,
0: he said, he, and, he, and he said, I'm not going to say like I like him, but I'm not going to say like conspiracy theory necessarily. But I think he's sort of at the forefront of the ideas of things that might happen. How about
4: that? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, look, it's just I was just interested to know whether there, there could be some info, But I think if we if we were to summarize it. Pretty much a flat start to the ETF, and I think that we could probably more realistically say that you know th- this is not a, a one-day game, but maybe a like a you know six-month game, and we should we should maybe just revisit this ETF inflow thing in six months unless there's huge inflows or huge outflows. I'm well, done talking about this thing. Well, Rand, so I said the
0: word ETF, and then James appeared, like literally the second that I said ETF, as you were coming up, it was like he was summoned. So so we obviously had to ask. Um, Friday though was just really quickly to wrap this. Jave, you said Friday was two hundred something million out of GBTC. Do we have numbers on Monday yet, or, or anything since? Because that seems that what everyone really cares about now is when is the GPT selling over or, or or nearly?
3: Yeah, so I don't have the numbers in front of me for today. I mean, we won't have flows until um, until uh, tonight, really, probably till tomorrow. So. Um, but I can look at volumes, but we're we're not we're not really we're only an hour in, so it's not going to be. An yeah, hour we hour just hour.
0: often often we see those GBTC transfers to Coinbase that are kind of ahead of the, yeah. the total flows, but that's more of an on-chain analysis than an inflow outflow, I guess, from your perspective.
3: Yeah, exactly, and like they've been they've been for the most part indicative of the amplitude and direction of the flows, obviously, but they have like from my experience, they haven't been really all that accurate in, in exactly how much is coming out. So I've seen cases where the flows were higher than whatever was being transferred. And I've seen most most cases, the number being transferred, the, the outflows ended up being um, lowered, in some cases, significantly lower. Um, so I'm still iffy on using that to try to like predict exactly what's going to happen. That said, when there's transfers, like there has been pretty much every day, we've seen
5: meaningful outflows. But um, yeah, I'm not sure. Understood. Jack. Yeah, hey guys, good morning. So uh, I think on the short term, we saw a bounce of like five or 6%. And I think that happened right after the J- uh, JP Morgan basically said that the Grayscale sell-off is cooling down and uh, basically pretty much over. So uh, that's, I think, triggered the uh, retracement uh, back to 42. Uh, and I think we uh obviously this is a new environment right now and uh, we're in the process of price discovery. Uh, I personally believe, I think, uh, 40 is going to bounce around 40 for a while until there will be more news uh, from the interested parties. And now we have a lot of uh, corporate finance interested, p- interested parties like J.P. Morgan, even though Jamie Dimon is, like, you know, talking gibberish. Um, but, like, there are others uh, out there, obviously, uh, ARC and uh, Fidelity. We just need to basically uh, watch the news and see how they get to speak about – how their product is performing. And of course, they would be interested to speak uh, about it uh, in a positive manner, which I think will influence the price.
0: Quickly, Gordon, you're here and probably are one of the few who's not, uh, I guess, crypto-native and probably a bit skeptical from our past conversations from the outside, I guess, in the, through the tra- TradFi lens. How are you viewing uh, what's going on here? Uh, was that was that geared towards me? It was. Yeah, sure. Um,
6: so. I mean, I don't have specific views on like the day-to-day moves, but I think what's important near term is um, I think what risk assets are going to do, and I think this week we have some pretty important data points coming out. Today we get how the treasury, how much the treasury is going to need to be funded with, and then on Wednesday, much more importantly, we get how they're going to basically fund that um, uh, that amount of money that they're going to issue over the next few quarters, and I think those two dynamics are going to um, give us a path to which, you know, uh, what risk assets are going to do. And I think based on that dynamic, you're going to either get, um, you know, a breakout or a breakdown in, in, in risk assets, including Bitcoin.
0: I think that's a reasonable, reasonable view. I was joking this morning that every morning I open the, uh, Bloomberg sort of market, market wrap first thing when I wake up and it has a uh, key things to watch this week as one of the first things I don't think I've ever seen a longer list. Uh, on any given day that I've I've, uh, woken up that how many things worldwide are being watched by markets this week.
6: Yeah. One other thing I'd add is, um, you know, our viewpoint at GLJ Research, and and this doesn't mean we're right, but this is just our viewpoint, is that in general, yields are going to go higher this year. And the reason we believe that is because increasingly, um, the debt that the U.S. government is issuing, i.e. the U.S. Treasury Department, Janet Yellen and team are issuing Increasingly needs to be funded domestically. Um, you see China dumping, you see other countries dumping US treasuries. Um, and our viewpoint is that if you look at the uh, margins at banks, um, the net interest margins, um, they've been coming down. Or if you look at the debt write offs, they're getting worse. So typically, those banks are, you know, the US banks are what fund the issuance of debt in the US. So if they are increasingly unable to fund that debt, you have a supply-demand imbalance, i.e. more supply than you have demand. So if more supply than demand, that means prices of bonds down, yields up. If that indeed proves true, um, and again, this is just our viewpoint, so take it with a grain of salt, but if that proves true, that would actually be bad for Bitcoin because it would be bad overall for risk assets. So near term, we think that the announcements this week, clearly you have um, the, 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 number of, the, the amount of debt that's going to be issued by the Treasury comes out today much more importantly, the composition of how they're going to fund that on Wednesday as well as the Fed decision on Wednesday. Uh, clearly, comments around their plans for QT are going to be important. Depending on how th- all that pans out, we think that drives the direction of Bitcoin near term. But longer term, you know, for the whole year, we think that the rise in yields, sell-off in risk assets, that should will probably have some pressure on Bitcoin.
1: Gordon, if more and more of this needs to be funded domestically and effectively, as a result, adds to Treasury's treasury woes, right? Because they end up spending more and more of the budget on interest rates, doesn't that uh, effectively force the hand of the Fed to start lowering, lowering interest rates, regardless of where the market is, regardless of where inflation is. Um, uh, These interest rates, you know, to me, appear unsustainable, especially as a bigger and bigger chunk of it is shouldered by Treasury.
6: Yeah, that's a a good question. The answer is I don't know. Um, So the Fed is supposed to be data dependent and their primary uh, mandate is to fight inflation. So with the U.S. economy uh, by their own data running hot, jobs, you know, jobless um, or unemployment rate very low historically, uh, they should not be cutting rates. And if you look, you know, historically pre-2008, and the reason I use 2008 is because that is when the U.S., Embarked upon for the first time quantitative easing, which um, I think was a big mistake. But pre two thousand eight, if you go all the way back to like nineteen forty, on average the Fed funds rate is two hundred to three hundred basis points above um, uh, CPI, and it averaged around five percent. So normalized rates are five percent. I know people that that's hard for people to grasp now, but that's that's just a fact. Um, But the question is, you know, will they resort to um, quantitative easing again and Um, supportive measures when the reverse repo runs out, which is the reverse repo is just excess basically fed money or quantitative easing money they printed uh, that they're now using to buy Janet Yellen's bonds. Um, I I think that given their history, given how reckless they've been, the answer is probably they support markets and resort to, um, you know, easing and supportive measures. But the problem is inflation is really high and, you know, people can't afford stuff anymore. So I think they're, 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 they're facing a conundrum, but if you've if, gone to my head, I think they resort to uh, supportive measures.
0: And because they can't obviously pay, pay the debt as, as Yago said. So I, yeah, Gordon, I understand that base case. I'll just be very surprised if they, if they allow it in election year, But uh, I guess we'll see what, what happens. There was a great quote. I wish I had it in front of me from a, uh, and not that this was going to be the topic of converse, conversation today, but from Del Giorno. I don't know if you guys saw in the kind of debate about inflation. And this is what he said. This is Del Giorno, obviously one of the largest food companies. They've kept their prices effectively the same rather than raising them even through all this inflation. He said, turkey, meats, roast beef, ham, it's crazy. We have eaten as much margin as we can. What they are reporting is not what we are experiencing. I didn't intend to have a uh, debate or conversation about inflation, but it doesn't seem like we can trust the numbers at all anyways, right? It seems that uh, there's zero consensus on what's actually happening with inflation and people on the street are not feeling what the government is saying as far as things coming down. I mean, so how can they raise rates again, Gordon?
6: Um, well. If you look at, we, we have this chart where we compare inflation today to inflation kind of in the 60s and 70s. And if you look at it, there's waves of inflation. But typically, where we're at in the cycle now, it would seem to suggest, assuming that like we're headed a, down a similar path, you're going to get a resurgence in inflation. You can already see that starting yeah. with oil prices. And super core inflation was quite scary to the, to the upside, even in the most recent read. So... If inflation gets out of hand again, which typically it always does, um, that that's a, that's a instance. Well, they'll have to at least consider raising rates.
0: I understood. Uh, the next point that Gordon made, obviously, and I think is one worth opening to the panel is what that would affect, uh, that would have on Bitcoin. Right? I think uh, obviously we're probably primarily uh, Bitcoin believers uh, on the panel do we define it as a risk asset? Do we define it as digital gold? Do we think that that correlation would spike again uh, if risk assets saw uh, or became under pressure once again? I mean, Rand, I'm curious what you think about that. Do you think that right now, I mean, we, we've seen that it hasn't largely been correlated at all with the S&P of late, but we, we should go to the panel. But Rand, I mean, do you think that Bitcoin is going to trade like a risk asset in the context of macro, or do you think we look at the four-year cycle and say, who cares?
4: I think it's definitely going to be a risk asset for now. Um, I think definitely for now. I think, Scott, maybe we should pivot a little bit to talk about, like, there's big stuff happening this week. Um, there's FOMC this week, which is, you know, I don't think we're going to get a rate right cut, but I think we, there is that happening. I think there was an attack last night or yesterday or the weekend on a U.S. Um, uh, base in Jordan, an and aerial attack which is being blamed on Iran. That, that could cause uh, quite a bit of escalation. Like, I think we should maybe look at, at like, the slightly bigger picture and maybe just get comments when I look at this us Iraq thing I think the US is getting destroyed now uh, in the Middle East so you've got I just want to give you like perspective of someone who's on the outside Um, one is you've got the Houthis which are a very small rebel group uh, and they basically managed to close the Suez, the Swiss canal despite the US being very in their full force with their chest out and 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 their their puff. Um, I don't think that the US has the the power to go up against Iran now. So you know basically I think you know Joe Biden said, you yeah, know we'll attack them at a at a date and time suitable to us on our terms. I don't think it's that easy and I'm trying to like to look at this and go, hold on a second. Is there a world war starting here? How can that affect crypto? I don't know if anybody's got the views in that regard.
0: I literally tweeted the other day to some headline, uh, you know, about uh, the attack on Americans. I said, you know, I'm old enough to remember when they used to call this war. <laughs> it seems like they're just pre- pretending that we're not at war when we are literally at war already in the Middle East.
4: And not only are you at war, but I think I think the US is actually losing the war because it's not the type of war that they know how to fight. Like This is, you know... You take all the US and all the arms they got and all the effort that they've put in, and the Houthis are just taking <laughs> unmanned unmanned drones and dropping them onto ships.
0: Yeah, yeah, I don't know the last time the United States, quote unquote, won a war, or anybody did for that matter. But uh, nothing new here. Pretty crazy, Simon. Yeah, I mean,
4: unless unless oh, I, I mean, I don't know yeah. if the, the audience is going anything to, to, to add. But I'd love to hear some other some other um, like, am I panicking for no reason? Is just this, another escalation that
7: is nothing.
0: Yeah, guys, you can share that in the comments.
7: Simon, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I think that. Well, I think the most important thing is to understand what what needs to happen to end it and to de-escalate. Um, and there's, you know, there's only a few. There's well, there's only <laughs> uh, some major hurdles to overcome. Uh, firstly, all of the axis of resistance, which consists of Houthis um, in Yemen, uh, Hezbollah in Lebanon, um, and Hamas in. Uh, palestine uh, or gaza um, they're all saying the same thing which is end the war and so the situation that the us needs to uh, decide is how far are they going to stand by israel and and that's the only thing um prior to that there was negotiations where um iran uh you know had the nuclear deal and then in 2020 President Trump broke from the deal, assassinated Qasem Soleimani um, and then went to the Abraham Accords, which sidestepped Iran and made a a deal between Israel, Saudi Arabia and America. And so that was the de-escalating effect um, or the destabilizing effect. Um, And so now you've got all these bases and essentially the whole Middle East is saying, America, just get your foreign aid, uh, your foreign policy out of here. Um, and so, um, this then ties into to the, the, the grander trends that America can no longer afford its foreign policy. And so, why is it actually there? Well, it seems like you know America is willing to uh, risk a war with Iran in its defense of Israel. So that's the strategic decision. At the same time, China can come in. Was, which is the real, the real area to create peace in the Middle East, is to have normalization between Saudi Arabia and Iran. And only China can broker that deal. And China started to broker that deal, whereas obviously America is taking clearly the side of Israel and Saudi Arabia. And so therefore, you, you know, America can't play the role of peacemaker. And that's the thing. So this is when you get into the multipolar or you know polar world that we we are living in, um where obviously Russia is also and America involved in both the failed states of Syria and Yemen. Um, and it's just a com- you know it, it requires a retreat, and then obviously America's decision is, well, is retreating being seen as a sign of weakness, and what are the consequences to you know the real powers like Russia and China? And so it's a very, very, you know, there's there's a lot at stake here. Um, but the the only way to to escalate this is to say, well, we're not willing to take America down for Israel, um, and we need to retreat our foreign policy. Otherwise, this is going to be escalation, 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 which is what we're seeing right now. Um, and there has to be an end to the, you know, there has to be a solution to the Palestinian cause and. Israel has said, there is no solution. We just want to get rid of them. Um, so that's, that's really the stakes. And yes, um, you know, we saw with the retreat from Afghanistan, we saw with the NATO proxy war in Russia, um, with Ukraine you know, sacrificing to try and weaken Russia, uh, and all of these things uh, uh, are showing a bit of a sign of weakness and i don't know how america's going to react to that so this is kind of a pivotal moment where iran has said well and it was on it was on the border of um, uh, it wasn't quite in, it wasn't quite in jordan it was on the border of jordan and syria uh, which is a bit you know it wasn't quite jordan and yeah, yeah so so that that is a really important and it really just plays into this so bringing that back to bitcoin I'm expecting kind of a COVID-style um, type of event where you get something like okay, let's say we get a massive, we get a massive fear-driven event like China Evergrande type thing, or Iran escalation leads to a massive crash, and then people realize that Bitcoin's the solution, which was kind of exactly what happened, uh, and then you'd have a reaction with the quantitative tightening. Um, Or quantitative easing when it realized it's got to actually uh, fund all these wars. So it's a very interesting critical moment and it all ties together. And Bitcoin, I believe, is at the center of that. But short term, you'll get big reactions. What the long term fundamentals will prevail though.
1: I I think it's interesting how um, much Simon and I disagree on what we believe are the facts around the geopolitical situation, but we come to effectively the same conclusion. So maybe I'll start with where we disagree. The um, United States is unquestionably, and this is one of the places that we're, we agree, is unquestionably showing great weakness right now. And the United States is the most important beacon for liberal uh, values and for democracy in the world. And when it shows weakness that empowers and encourages autocrats uh and 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 dictators and uh, theofascists now um one of the problems that the west has always had that democracies always have is that they don't want to go to war the people the population have a say they don't like war Um, and so there's a great reticence which is effectively, at least in the short term, always a weakness uh, for, for liberal uh, societies, vis-a-vis the much more aggressive autocracies that exist in the world. And then what goes further is because we uh, enjoy much higher levels of free speech um, and free thought, uh, and because the West has a culture of debate, uh, going back all the way to ancient Greece, Um, There is a cohort of people in Western society who are always going to be arguing that their society is the worst society, that their society is doing things that it shouldn't be doing. And, And there's always that messiness of that debate. Now, Biden is proving to be a very weak president in the face of this. And part of the reason is that half of his voters are people who speak in the way that Simon speaks. Right. He calls the Houthi and Hezbollah and other proxies of Iran the axis of resistance. So let's examine for a moment who this axis of so-called resistance is. Right? These are not Jedis you know, fighting an evil empire. The Houthis have reintroduced slavery. The Hezbollah, uh, and, and by extension Lebanon, have far worse discrimination against Palestinians than um, countries like Jordan or Israel do. So, for example, in Jordan and Israel, Palestinians can own property and participate in any profession. In um, Lebanon, they're not allowed to have citizenship, they're not allowed to own property, and there's a large number of professions, including uh, all government work that they're not allowed to participate in. And then, of course, the um, actual octopus, because these are just tentacles, is Iran. And Iran is a theocracy, which regularly uh, uh, forces women uh, you know, to, at, at, you know, will beat them to death in the streets, uh, you know, every couple of months because they're not covering their faces. It, it hangs people on a weekly basis for uh, uh, voicing on social media things, which they don't like. This is not a nice regime. And it is hated by its people. It's hated by the Persians, uh, who are an educated people and represent 60% of the population. And it's hated by everyone else. Um, It's currently got border skirmishes with Afghanistan and with Pakistan and with Azerbaijan. And those three populations represent about 30% of the population there. And so it's a very, very vulnerable and a very, very scared uh, uh, government. And it also is entirely uh, uh, dependent on a relatively trickle, slim stream of oil revenue that can be shut down in a moment. Um, It currently has some 100% inflation. It is extremely weak. And the way it's trying to maintain its position is by uh, investing in and supporting proxies like Hamas, Hezbollah, and the Houthis. So the US has this problem where it doesn't want to engage. It doesn't want to face down what is clearly the nexus of all of this problem. Um, But if it doesn't, you find yourself in the situation uh, like where the West was at the beginning of World War II, where a willingness, a, a reticence to re-engage in war, a, 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 an exhaustion with the I- idea of war, which the US has because of Iraq and Afghanistan, which were huge mistakes, means that uh, autocrats and theocracies and dictatorships can run wild for much longer than they should which makes the problem far more severe, and ultimately introduces a situation which is likely going to be much, much more dangerous and much, much worse. So uh, clearly, Simon and I completely disagree on oh, the geopolitical. back of to it, Bitcoin because so <laughs> I, I don't want us to where, become
0: a war spaces.
1: But where where do we agree? In both of these cases, right. Both Simon and I, so it doesn't matter how you view the world, the outcome is the same. It's U.S. weakness, which translates it into dollar weakness, which means that the currency that we currently have as, as a reserve currency um, is losing its luster, losing its attractiveness. And as a result, the world more and more, in particular countries, more and more are going to be looking for an alternative. Gold is not a good alternative. You need to ship it. Um, it's very vulnerable to transportation. Bitcoin does exactly the same thing, but with complete security. And so, Bitcoin is the big winner of any scenario that we see over the next few years.
7: Yeah, I, w- I won't respond, Scott, because you know it's different topic. So I'd just say, different, completely different narrative, same result. Uh, agree there, Yago. So oh, that is a
0: bullish narrative for Bitcoin somehow, either either way that that uh, goes. I mean, before we kind of move on to this topic, anybody else on the panel have a feeling uh, uh, specifically on how what's happening worldwide in terms of global conflict could affect Bitcoin specifically without getting into the
5: details. Andrew, do you have thoughts on that? Jack, you can go ahead. Just uh, just a few points. So uh, last time Bitcoin really, really jumped fast, it was due to the uh, banking failure, Uh, Silicon Valley Bank and uh, various, various others. There was uh, actually a catalyst, I think, that uh, made a lot of people uh, rethink Bitcoin as possibly the uh, safe asset, kind of like a digital gold. in light of uncertainty in the banking system specifically and so that was the first time i saw bitcoin diverging from the global markets and actually uh, going in the reverse markets were dumping bitcoin was was rising now obviously uh, any sort of geopolitical tension and i like totally agree with the previous speaker i think uh, he's right on point uh similarly to oil uh, oil generally jumps uh, worse, like any issues in the Middle East or whatnot. Here, if we have a risk of any sort of uh, uh, financial instabilities, whether it's due to uh, bad fiscal policies or you know governments going nuts and uh, any any sort of manipulation of uh, of the fiat world, I think those two things combined is definitely a bullish narrative uh, for Bitcoin, and I think uh, I'm. Totally in, uh, Fred Krueger's camp, you probably have seen his podcasts. I think we're looking at, uh, melt up to, you know, possibly 80,000 plus, maybe just this year alone, just because there's so many things that are converging on this. I mean, like there is all of those issues in the world. There is finally the acceptance by the, uh, biggest, uh, biggest country in terms of, uh, ability to give retail to tap into that asset. And I think, again, like back to my previous point, all of those large companies will uh, try to shift narrative towards promotion of the asset, no matter like what Jamie Dimon says. Well, what Jamie Dimon
0: says and what Jamie Dimon's doing are two opposite things. Anyways, (laughs) I think we can all agree on that when you look at how involved J.P. Morgan is, uh, obviously in this space. I think another like worthy conversation actually today uh, in context of sort of the geopolitical conversation and central bank digital currencies. I mean, obviously, we had when Vivek uh, you know, decided to suspend his campaign, he was obviously in Trump's ear. You had Trump made make a statement that uh, he would never allow central bank digital currencies in the United States. RFK, who has been sort of long the Bitcoin candidate to some degree, very recently also made the same statement. He said... Uh, that we would never allow central bank digital currencies in the United States. I mean, I know, Simon, you believe they're inevitable and coming everywhere, right? Do you think that any of these candidates can
7: actually stop that progression? Uh, no, no one can stop it. CBDC, yeah, exactly as you said. Um, CBDCs are inevitable, predictable, guaranteed. Um, they're what will be the solution to um the the banking issues and the over leverage in both china and america and the rest of the world Um, but they take us to a place we really don't want to be which is why um, i think that the understanding of moving away from bitcoin as an etf in order to protect your wealth from inflation actually changes to a narrative of bitcoin and self-custody as a mechanism for uh, freeing yourself from the oppression of central bank digital currencies uh, becomes the next narrative over the next decade or two. Sam,
4: when we talk about central bank digital currencies, do you think there's any chance that the CBDC will be US dollar denominated? Uh,
7: yeah, I think I think every every CBDC will have its own uh, denomination. So, do you I, think I th- that?
4: Do you think that if let's say that you, let's just hypothetically say the US were to launch a CBDC? Do you see this CBDC being linked to the current U.S. dollars that I have? So if I've got $500,000, that's my net wealth. Do you think that they'll debit my USD account and credit me with new CBDC USD?
7: Yeah, no, I think think there'll be a slower launch. So it will be event-driven. So let's say a bank goes bust. They'll say, let the bank go bust, but everyone that had a, a bank balance can download this app agree to our terms and conditions, um, agree to all the programmatic nature of the new digital dollar, um, and we'll just replace debt-free money. We'll replace the the money that was created at debt at the bank with debt-free money at the central bank. Um, If they have another universal basic income style event, then they can beta test it with get some free money by downloading this app um, and uh, you know there'll be incentives based around fiscal and monetary union, where the government will say, "Here's an incentive um, for some kind of fiscal stimulus if you um, agree to this new monetary policy and download this app." I think it would just be beta tested based upon all, disaster.
4: And when all said and done, when all said and done, I'm just trying to. I'm, I'm trying to fast forward like ten years from now when there is a CBDC. And I'm trying to work out whether the CBDC and the amount of CBDC that you have will be a derivative of the amount of dollars that you have. That's what I'm trying to understand. Like, so for example, I don't know, like you know, in this world, if everything that that is liquid is, you know, five hundred thousand dollars, will I land up with? Uh, is it the opportunity that they need to reset the financial system? In other words, get rid of the current currency which they've deflated to death etc. Or is it gonna be is the C B D C just gonna be programmatic USD? Yes,
7: yeah, so there's a couple of ways of looking at it, peacetime and wartime. Um so if it happens in peacetime, I think that's the scenario we're talking about. And essentially you imagine at the moment you have a money supply M M1 M2 M3 M4. But imagine how much easier it would be to control things if you could program into just one money supply called M and you didn't need to go to a bank and say, hey, let's manipulate the interest rate so that you can uh, encourage, so we can decrease interest rates, encourage more people to take on debt so the bank can create a load of money that creates the interest on top of the money, uh, the money, the interest doesn't exist to pay the money. So every time it, it, it blows up, we have this business cycle. And then every time we get this bogey called inflation that comes along because you've got to factor in the interest on the money and the private bankers and the private bankers creating it. Um, then we need to increase interest rates and send all the people that save the economy by taking on the debt bankrupt because they can no longer afford their mortgage. Instead, they'll just program in money that's created fully by the central bank. and I think there'll be a phase out. If we enter into, I think if we enter into non-peace time, i.e. we do enter into world war three um then i think there'll be a you know like we did last time so the wi- the winning allies and the losing allies the losing allies had to pay all the debt to the winning allies they had to settle in gold and then they all sat around a table at Bretton woods and decided what the future of the monetary system is going to look like um i think i think there would be a similar thing uh after after world war three and then in the middle you'd be settling with Bitcoin and gold and Bitcoin would just naturally be a better way. So I think it just depends what happens on the geopolitics and whether the world is willing to um, escalate this. And and that ties into the previous conversation. Remember, central bank digital currency, think of it like this. It's deleveraging. It's taking out, think of USDC, right? Right. USDC is going direct from government debt to a blockchain asset with no bank in the middle. Why did they come after PayPal and why did they come after Facebook? Uh, because that's the most destabilizing effect to debt-based money at a fractional reserve bank. Because what we saw in 2023 is that if everyone wants their withdrawals, it breaks the banking system and they had to flee to you know something that's either backed by FDIC or Bitcoin. Or USDC started having market pricing for the fact that it had $3 billion at a bank. So you can actually get real-time pricing. And in 2025, the Bank for International Settlements. So here's what I think. Here's the bullish scenario. Imagine a CBDC where everyone has a CBDC, including the IMF and everyone that wants to get involved in that game. Everyone can have a stable coin. And there's the kind of like free banking where everyone can compete. And the CBDC that is the most oppressive, that has the worst programs into it, will be the worst forms of CBDCs. But the one that has the best backing, whether it be a Bitcoin standard or whatever, um, is the one and allows for the most freedom, is the one that becomes the world reserve currency. Uh, that's what I see as a, a really nice effect. And I, I think I think we could, we could get there where you just have these multiple CBDCs, and the the least oppressive and the most oppressive are the ones that that compete it out.
4: Well, if Trump comes in, he said he wouldn't allow a CBDC. Not that I believe any politician about anything they say, but at least uh, that's what he said.
0: I don't really think that CBDC is going to be on the dot. I mean, that's how this started, right? RFK just said the same and Trump said it, but based on what we've heard, even from Powell, I don't think it's really on the docket in the United States in the coming four years. But maybe I'm. Yes, yeah,
2: I, I was going to add here. I mean, I think some of the longer term game theory Simon mentioned is interesting, but it's not only not on the docket. The Fed has expressly opposed it on on a number. Yeah, of they said games. no chance. The closest they came was a paper they put out in early winter of last year, after which was you know long awaited, where they really failed to. Um, even enunciate what the problem is they'd be trying to solve. And then they were very uncertain whether a blockchain would be the solution to this uncertain problem. So it was incredibly ambivalent um, to the concept. And frankly, the only I do see movement, you talk about the BIS, obviously, we see the ECB. These just don't matter at all. I, I would say they literally don't matter at all. They might do it, they might try to make it a way for the euro to sort of become ascendant again but that's that's it at the moment i see no interest whatsoever in the united states across both parties i mean the closest is a small faction of the democratic party that is interested in this as a concept but even with even there no no one has proposed a, an actual design that you know is palatable to anyone as far as i can tell
7: yeah if i if i could add um, a cbdc doesn't necessarily mean blockchain a CBDC is just a digital currency created by a bank that's so not backed by somebody else's debt. so we we already have essentially digital currencies at a at a bank, but they have someone has to borrow them into existence, and then it has to have an interest rate attached with that digital currency. A CBDC is just a deleveraging effect where you have the same amount of money, um, but you don't have the additional interest and it's issued by the central bank or the government rather than the private banking sector. It doesn't have to right, be blockchain, you, it's not tech. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a novel concept.
2: It's diametrically opposed to the two-sided banking system, which the Fed is like strongly promised to preserve. So I think very, very unlikely to happen.
0: So then that means that we're just getting political uh talking points and
5: i mean
2: i I just i mean to be honest like i mean yeah if simon thinks that the fed is going to you know um disintermediate the very banks that it serves and uses as its organs of power i think that's extremely unlikely um so outside of that i don't really see a use case i haven't seen one presented other than either i mean basically stuff that regular folks wouldn't notice so 90 you know, back end technology upgrade, perhaps, um, or something that's incredibly authoritarian, right? I mean, I, I don't see a middle ground of a reasonable policy that solves any known problem.
4: Yeah, I also, I also don't think that the US has admitted to having any, you know, problem. Like, you know, for now, they can keep inflating the dollar and, you know, keep printing more dollars. I saw something today about the rate of, of, Trying to think of exactly how it word is worded but from 33 trillion dollars to 34 trillion dollars in national debt i think took 30 days if i'm not mistaken and then- yeah,
0: they're increasing the increasing the rate, rate of debt and since the debt ceiling crisis it's already up 10 percent from the 31 to 34 whatever it is
2: yeah and this is a fiscal impulse problem right which i mean i think my big criticism of the fed is that i i guess as a as a partly to maintain their supposed independence they refuse to comment on this side of the the ledger basically which is the fiscal side which is completely out of control right it would be great to see the fed or powell come out and explain that like actually rates absolutely cannot stay that high forever because we will bankrupt this country but he doesn't want to do that because it would effectively be a political statement about administrative fiscal policy but of course, like they know that, and they, they really should be honest about the actual totality of the situation.
4: Uh, all right, Scott, I think uh, I think we've squeezed the 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 juice out of the lemon here.
0: There's just some days, man. It was actually a really interesting conversation, but uh, yeah, not not much to talk about in the immediate news cycle great, for the moment. There's
4: a great pump happening on the market. I mean, I don't know if you're well, a
0: great nice pump. I literally just, I'm, I'm on X, obviously, and I saw like 10 tweets that were like, Bitcoin is pumping, and I literally opened the chart, and it's from, well, now it's at, I guess, 42.6. So well, it was, like, I it was Solana, like 42.1, and now it's 42.6. Where?
4: Silana <laughs> <laughs> is over 100 bucks, or was over 100 bucks. I think there's a Jupiter airdrop happening this week. Uh, on the 31st, which is Wednesday, which is it's going to be probably quite a big airdrop. You know, then on the days where are airdrops, a lot of activity happens on the network and a lot of money goes onto the chain. So I think probably worth keeping your eye on that uh, on that one.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I, I mean, I, on that dip, I was looking for like 75 to 77 Solana. And literally on a live stream, I was like, I'm going to adjust my zone here and I'm buying a little bit at 81. So I only got a little bit of the position I was trying to fill there, but I'm glad I grabbed some cause it seems like the market really bounced from there. I mean, I, we should in theory, if Bitcoin's going to sit here and be boring, we should see a lot of action in the altcoin market, you would think.
4: I, yeah, I mean, I just, I I want, I want a correction. I want this thing to go to smash down so we can buy what we want to buy and we can move on with the bull market. I don't, my bags aren't packed.
0: Yeah, that makes. That, yeah, like I said, I got about twenty five percent of what I wanted there on the dip. I think because uh, you know greed, but I guess maybe that'll. Uh, hopefully tomorrow we'll have some price action to really discuss and make for a more exciting show. Go ahead, Simon, has a comment before we go, go ahead, Simon.
7: Yeah, I can I can cover it tomorrow if you want. But just had some um, uh, FTX bankruptcy and Celsius bankruptcy stuff. Would you rather it tomorrow?
0: Yeah, <laughs> let's let's hold on it. I think we'll go ahead and wrap for today. Cool. We'll do that tomorrow. Got some bankruptcy. All right, guys.
4: Thanks, Mario. Thank you, everyone.
0: Thanks, Mario. Mario. You were great today. Mario did amazing today.
4: You did did well today, bro. Great. Actually, Mario's best day. Mario's best
0: day. Yeah, he he really, uh, really deep, insightful commentary. Uh, Great questions. Glad we had him. Thanks, everyone. Bye.